Welcome back to Saltier Politics. Julie, it's been a while. Happy fall. I know. We took a couple of weeks off there. I was traveling. By the way, there's a monsoon going outside in New York City right now. Um, like it just dropped precipitously and I was freezing walking over here. I'm wearing a short sleeve dress and, and considering that I was sweltering two days ago, this climate change thing is actually affecting my sartorial choices, Emily. Anything under 70, I'm cold, so... We're from Florida. Yeah. And I'm from Russia, and everything under 70, I'm still cold, which goes to show what a horrible Russian I am. But anyway, so... Let's hear about France. I'm really excited. France was awesome. A couple of things. So first we went to... We were based in Paris, but we traveled to Normandy, and we did something that I hadn't done since I was in high school, um, and the person I was with had never done which is that we went to um, the Normandy beaches and we went to the World War II beaches and we, we got a guide, we hired a guide to take us around to Omaha Beach and Utah Beach um, and to the American Cemetery and also to the German Cemetery, which uh, was very interesting. And in fact, the love for the Americans that I saw in Normandy is unlike anything I've seen in a really long time. Oh, wow. In a really, really long time. Um, but just the fact that people understand their history, but they continue to live life and they continue to just go on with their, with their life and, and, and to swim in the water and to, to lie out on the beach as we would anywhere um, on our beaches. It's, it's kind of fascinating um, to, to have thought about that. But so many great stories. The American Cemetery um, in Normandy, if uh, you ever have the chance to go, if anybody listening ever has the chance to go, just don't miss it. It's just an incredibly beautiful spiritual um, kind of holy place. And I say that as somebody who's not particularly particularly religious, but just an incredible, incredible place. And the German cemetery um, was also very fascinating, which most people I think don't go to, but they should. Um, very Teutonic, um, also beautiful, but kind of darker, and not just because of, obviously, it was the, the Germans who died, but because it's just kind of heavier, the, the architecture is heavier than the American cemetery. Um, really just an incredible trip. And then um, we stayed at our cousin's, my cousin's apartment in Paris, and she was out of town, and her, she's, she's got three daughters, one of whom has a turtle. And so in exchange for staying in her apartment, I had to keep the turtle alive, <laughs> which meant that I had to feed it every what, day. What does a turtle eat? Um, apparently a turtle eats these little pellets. Um, they left these little pellets out for me, I think eight or 14 or something pellets a day. And so every morning I'd wake up in a panic. <laughs> sure <that> this <laughs> turtle was... <laughs> A damn turtle was still alive, whose name is Chandler because all the French cousins I have, all of whom are French, are obsessed with Friends um, and still continue to watch Friends um, on Netflix or whatever they have in France that you could watch Friends on. And so Chandler, the turtle is named after Chandler Bing from Friends. And my whole mission when I was in Paris was to keep Chandler, the turtle, alive um, because I couldn't live with myself if they came back and they had this little dead turtle. So that was kind of stressful. Okay, what was the best meal? Meal? Yes. Um, very interesting. So uh, there's a very famous place in uh, Mont Saint-Michel, which is um, one of the, I think, the eight wonders of the modern world. It's this very old abbey. I think it was founded like in 600 um, AD um, and has obviously grown since then. It's, it's this, uh, on an island um, that you could only access or used to be able to only access during low tide. Um, and it's in Western Normandy. And it's uh, this beautiful place. Anyway, they have this very famous Michelin-starred restaurant called Le Mer Poulard, 
which has been there for like 200 years. And you go, on the, you go there and you have posters and autographs on the wall from all these incredible people who, who'd been there. Um, king, I don't know which king of England, but for example, king of England, Trotsky. Um, uh, just random, random sort of historic figures. And we went there and they're, they're very famous for their omelets. And we were not impressed, unfortunately. So that was something I was really looking forward to, um, but we were not as impressed as I was hoping we were gonna be. However, um, we also, in a place called Chateau de Sully uh, in Bayou in, in Normandy, had a wonderful meal. And then uh, there's a restaurant in Paris. If you're ever in Paris, you should go. It is not cheap, I will warn you, but it's great. It's called La Trafferie. And I've been there a couple of times and it's fantastic. And uh, we both really enjoyed it. They put truffles in everything, including dessert, which is a little strange, but um, it's very good. And Emily, if you're ever in Paris, I will actually treat you to La Trufferie. It's that good. So you should, if you ever find yourself there, I will spot dinner for you. Uh, d- deal. deal. Okay. I take that. Um, so should we talk about the 5K? We, <sighs> or we should talk about the 5K. I think we're about to... We, which is hope, about a week away. So are we going to talk about how the Roadrunners Club really shouldn't be listening to what the scam that we're pulling on this 5K? Right. Um, I, I mean... I, I think I kind of let the cat out of the bag. So uh, as you know, I think people have heard me complain about this. I have this horrible neck injury. And I thought it was just a passing thing, but it turns out it's not a passing thing. It's a disc. It's a thing. Anyway, I probably have to have surgery. The point is, um, I, I hobbled all around France, and I continue to hobble all around New York City. Um, I can't even wear high heels, which is not even high heels. I can't even wear low heels. Um, I have to wear flats all the time. It's, it's not great. So the point is, I cannot run. Um, so this 5K is a week from Sunday. Is that right? So you are stepping in to run for me. I am going to be listening to Britney Spears. I'm going to be listening to the Spice Girls. I It'll know. be just like you're running. I know, I know. And you're taking my number, which I I think is not really that kosher. But um, I think that I'm still committed to doing a 5K because it's yeah. a bucket list thing. What pisses me off is I have to start from scratch. You know, I've been training. You know, I hate running. And I was going to do this 5K. And then, like Jerry Seinfeld, I would choose not to run ever again. But I... Um, now still have to start from the beginning because I think all the good work I did this summer to try to train for this 5K went out the window with this injury. So I am completely pissed off, but I am coming. My son is coming. We are going to make posters. We're going to cheer you guys on um, at Van Cortland Park. Uh, it'll it'll be a fun be great. time. It'll be fun. Well, uh, yes. It, well, you're <laughs> next time. Next time when you run it, it'll be way better. <laughs> well, next time when I run it, I will be much slower. It'll be still great. Um, okay. So I guess let's get into politics. Um, let's just talk about the complete and utter Trump intransigence when it comes to a hurricane hitting Alabama. It, um, and I guess Sharpie Gate is what they're oh, calling it. God. I mean, why? how do you even just comment on that? He's trying to support his fake reality. What, what upsets me is that you have Republicans... Um, and not, I shouldn't even say Republicans because I'm not even saying Republicans are defending this. The cult, his cult, um, people on Twitter, um, people in the media, not, they're jumping through hoops to justify it. Like they're jumping through a thousand hoops to justify it. Why can't he just say, hey, I misspoke. I misspoke. It's okay. We all do it. I mean, people misspeak all the time. How many times did I misspeak on TV? And if I did, I'd, I'd, I'd say it. Right. Um, but why would you double down on this? Like digging up outdated forecasts and had the White House release a statement 
uh, saying he was briefed and told that. And I mean, you have the director of Homeland Security, which when that post was created after 9-11, you kind of assumed these people would be putting politics away and protecting us. Um, And, you know, I think about even under Bush, I mean, Michael Chertoff, um, you had really respected people um, doing this. And then now you have somebody who, whatever credibility, much like Bob Barr, whatever credibility he had just thrown out the window and defending this nonsense from Trump because they're all expected to do it. And at which point do you say as a public servant, I'd rather not have this job. I'd rather, I, I, what's, what's the point? And, and this is something where facts really do matter when it comes to people's lives and it comes to major storms like, like this. If, if you're in the path of a hurricane, you need to take the proper precautions. And you, people depend on the news to do that and, and, and the leaders to tell them what's going to happen. So No question. And also, let's not forget this hurricane, as he was saying this, was getting ready to make landfall in the United States, in the Carolinas, I think is where um, it was going to make landfall. And he's talking about Alabama. Why? I mean, why don't you talk about, you, you have a bully pulpit. You are the most prominent megaphone in the world. Uh, and you're spending your time talking about Alabama, which is not in the eye of the storm, as opposed to telling people to take shelter or whatever safety precautions they should be taking from the bully pulpit. And he's just not. And it's just another example of how deranged he is. I don't know what else to say. And it's like the Mad King and everybody jumping through. It's, it's really the emperor has no clothes. It's, it's that, remember that old fairy tale about the emperor has no clothes and all of his courtiers would you know, applaud him as he's walking down the street naked applaud him for his wonderful clothes because they're so great until some little girl or some little boy, I forgot the story, who doesn't, hasn't gotten the memo that you're supposed to kiss the butt of the king, screams out, but he's naked. Um, it's the same thing here. All of these people are applauding him and jumping through hoops when he's acting like somebody who's deranged consistently. I mean, consistently. Mike Pence, another example, Mike Pence goes to Ireland, uh, to Dublin, and decides that he's going to commute from Western Ireland, Dublin is in the east of Ireland, commute from Western Ireland hours away because Donald Trump, quote-unquote, suggested to him um, that he should stay at Donald Trump's golf resort. Um, what? So, one, who's paying for that commute? We are. For, oh, good. We are. The taxpayers are. And also for that stay. Oh, good. So Trump is so, continuing to make money off of us for his private business, but okay. Excellent. All right. Um, well, I think just the saltiness is just continuing to increase. Um, to another story now, um, really sad, all of the shootings that happened since the last time we spoke uh, at the Walmart in El Paso, in Dayton, Ohio, in Odessa and Midland, Texas. Um, dozens killed. And it brings me to this question for you, Julie. So 97% of those surveyed in a recent poll said they support requiring background checks for all gun buyers. So let's talk about, you know, what people... Let me interrupt you, including the, the majority of NRA members. Right. So yeah. let, like, let's talk about calling your senator or lawmaker. Does it work? And t- talk about the impact it actually has on the lawmaker when they're making decisions. So typically, and, I, and I'll explain why this may be somewhat different, but typically there's nothing more effective than communicating with your lawmaker, um, 202-224-3121 for your senator, 225-3121 for your congressman. Just ask for your congressman um, when you get the House or Senate operator. 
if you or senator, if you don't know his or her name, um, just tell them where you live and they will look him or her up for you. Uh, it is very effective. So when I worked in the Senate, I, I can tell you there were people who literally, th their job was to log how many constituent calls they got per issue. And it really is very important, um, incredibly important. And I don't want to minimize that at all. And people should do that on any issue, whatever they feel strongly about. Um, I strongly believe that if Susan Collins had heard from enough people in Maine, she might not have voted for Brett Kavanaugh, for example. But what I find interesting here is that these Republicans, for example, Mitch McConnell, who's now saying he'll only take up gun safety legislation if, if Donald Trump signs off, like it ever stopped the Republicans from taking up legislation when they knew Obama would veto it or not support it. It's, it's insane. But anyway, so, you know, the problem for them is twofold. One is they really do rely tremendously on NRA money. Uh, and secondly, they do rely tremendously on the fear of being primaried from the right. Because Mitch McConnell may or may not worry about losing his seat to a Democrat in Kentucky, but he is worried. And he almost, he had a, he had a tough primary, Matt Bevin, a couple of years ago, or if more than a couple of years ago, the last time he ran. Uh, and, and I think he, they're worried about being tagged from the right. And an easy way to do that is to say, oh, look, they're caving. You know, they want to take away our guns. Look at him. It's a slippery slope. First, they take away our AK, AR, whatever they're called, 15s. And then next thing you know, they're, they're doing gun confiscation. That's what we've come to because we have now gerrymandered congressional seats and we have become such a polarized country that people are more concerned about primaries from the left or the right than they are about the general election in a lot of these states and a lot of these congressional districts. It just, it, it feels every time we report on these shootings, you feel just helpless. And again, just to your point, it's so important to call the lawmakers because that is something actionable you can do when people are dying. What's also important is I think for law enforcement, especially in rural areas, to speak up more forcefully about this. Um, they're the ones that have to deal with this. Right. They're the ones that have to be at the scene. They're the ones that have to risk their lives. And, I, you know, I hear phrases like, well, you know, I ask people why they need this particular gun, this AR-15, which has been responsible for, I don't know how many mass shootings. And every answer I get is, oh, they're really fun to shoot. Okay, so what? Like, why is your fun more important than somebody not having access to this weapon? And people saying, well, there's such a proliferation of these weapons and so therefore, you'll never get them off the street anyway. Yeah. Oh, okay, there's a proliferation of, of heroin. Right. It doesn't mean that we're legalizing it. There's a proliferation yeah. of, of, of terrorists out there. It doesn't mean that we're not taking steps right. like to try to... Right, drugs are really fun to do sometimes, it, it, so it's like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I'm sure a shoulder-holstered right. nuke would be fun to shoot, too. It yeah. doesn't mean that we should be legalizing them. Like, Shamu them. was fun to watch, in, like, as a kid in, in, you know, when I went to SeaWorld, and... People have evolved. It's not right to keep Shamu in the, you know, in, in this pen. So it's right. like people can evolve with this. This is just ridiculous, especially after people are dying. Yeah, I'm sure if you talk to a drug addict, they'll say to you that drugs are really fun to do. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we're saying, oh, drugs are fun to do. Great. All right, then go then go and do them. You know what? You talk to my son, he would tell you that Gatorade is really fun to drink by the pound. It doesn't mean that he should do that before bedtime because it's not good for him. Right. Um, so, or Ashley ever. So it's something that 
uh, I don't understand why, why that suddenly is somehow something that we should care about. Your fund does not mitigate the fact that people are dying. I mean, really dying in the most brutal, awful way possible. Um, and yet we can't even pass uniform, universal background checks, which to me is just insane. Well, um, here's another insane story for you. So Harry Potter has been taken off library shelves at a Nashville school, uh, St. Edward Catholic School, because the school's pastor believes the book's magical spells are real, specifically because of, quote, recommendations of exorcists in the United States and Rome and presenting magic as both good and evil, which is not true, end quote. <laughs> what do you even say about that? So I mean, what do you even say about that? Like, I, no, no, and 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 why Harry are you Potter's banning books? Wonderful. Not even Harry Potter. Why are you banning any books? You shouldn't. Why are you banning anything? I keep going to my old tried and true Mein Kampf, which I read when I was in high school. It didn't make me a Nazi. Right. It didn't make me want to start, you know, marching in the streets. You know, in support of Adolf Hitler's ideology, didn't make me want to, you know, kill Jews, of which I am one. Right, like <laughs> you read this is this is Harry Potter. I mean, why are you banning anything, anything? I when I was um in high school, I went to the library and I tried to check out Lady Chatterley's Lover, and they wouldn't let me. And I was going through a big lady. Uh, I was going through a big D.H. Lawrence phase. Um, like Sons and Love, you know, also all the rainbow. I mean, D.H. Lawrence, I don't know if you ever read him, but um, anyway, I, I was going through this big phase. And so I tried to check out Lady Chatterley's Lover, and they're like, oh, no, no, that's porn. You can't rent that. You know, you can't check that out. You're too young. And I'm like, no, actually, it's literature. And yes, I can. And so I, I, I had my mom do it for me. But, um, but that's like, why are you banning kids from reading anything? Right. It's anything. I just, and again, every time you try to hide something or close something off from kids, they're going to want to read it more. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. It's, and Harry, I mean, I'm going to get into the ridiculousness of Harry Potter, which is, right. um, you know, it's Harry Potter, for God's right. sake. And this is not the first time. I mean, they, they used to ban Huck Finn. I mean, they, they banned also because it was an interracial friendship back in the day. I mean, the, they've had school districts ban all sorts of good books, good literature. I mean, Harry Potter has done more to get millennials to read right. when you guys were little than probably anything else on earth. I mean, just when video, video games were prevalent and there were so many other options on I, TV, like this, like J.K. Rowling got millennials to read in the mid-90s in ways that in, nobody in else did. In line for books. I remember the drop of those books and going to like Costco who had always, yeah. waiting in line for them. And, yeah, and, and, and you know, having read the Harry Potter books and you have as well, it didn't make me a warlock or a witch. Nope. Didn't make me just want to do magic incantations. I just thought it was a cool story about, and I was not a, you know, I was safe, sad to say in my late twenties when I read those books. But, but it made your imagination just it go. Did. And They're just good books. I mean, come on. Right. Just nonsense. All right. So Julie, do you know what's making you salty oh, this week? God. I mean, I've, I've been storing it up for so long. I mean, you know what's making me salty? Stephanie Grisham, the new White House press secretary is making me salty. Ooh. Um, because she, uh, just today, today we're doing this on Friday, September 6th, I want to say, tweets out a whole bunch of nonsense attacking the Washington Post, um, for saying things like, uh, that the Washington Post never, um, ever 
talked about Trump being the first American president to ever um, to set foot in, in North Korea. I mean, she just basically went out and said the Washington Post never, ever, ever did this. She said, here's, here's the quote. The Post could have written about the president's directive to ease all federal student loan debt for, disab- oh, for disabled veterans. She did that too, but I'm sorry. The first one she did is, or one of the ones she did that I'm talking about is, they could have written about the first time in history a sitting United States president walked across the DMZ into North Korea. Um, here's the Washington Post headline from that period. Quote, Trump becomes first sitting president to set foot in North Korea. Then she proceeds to attack the Post in another tweet and says, the Post could have written about the president's directive to ease all federal student loan debt for disabled veterans. Contemporaneous Washington Post headline, quote, Trump administration to automatically forgive the student debt of permanently disabled veterans. She's doing this for two reasons. One is, you know, she's attacking Washington Post because they hate uh, Jeff Bezos and they hate the Washington Post. She's also doing it so that we would talk about it and so that we would talk about all the positive stuff that the Trump administration did on North Korea, which is not that positive in my view, and the student loan forgiveness for, for, for disabled veterans, which is positive. They want us to talk about this and to retweet this. And I understand the scam. Um, I'm a former press secretary. I appreciate the play. What I don't appreciate is that this is a taxpayer-funded job, and she's basically being paid to lie um, on our dime in the service of trolling the libs or owning the libs or owning the Washington Post. And uh, this is all because the Washington Post wrote a story about today about how Trump had a lost summer, that he didn't accomplish much, that it was all a bunch of unforced errors. So your money, Emily, my money, which I must say I work quite hard for, as do you, is being paid, is being used for this woman to just sit there and troll. And that's just inexcusable. What's making you salty? All right. Well, um, this might seem redundant, like I talk about every week, but anyway, uh, the humanity of LGBTQ people is being denied yet again by Trump. Um, he asked the Supreme Court to declare that fed to declare that um, uh, the federal law that allows private companies to fire workers only based on their sexual orientation. So the Justice Department said that courts nationwide should stop reading part of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which bans discrimination based on sex. The DOJ says that does not that does not protect LGBTQ workers from bias because it was not originally intended to do so. So to break it down, the ordinary meaning of sex is biologically male or female, the DOJ argues. It does not include sexual orientation. An employer thus discriminates because of sex. Under Title VII, if it treats numbers of one sex worse than similarly situated members of the other sex. Discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, standing alone, does not satisfy that standard. I mean, we've had this discussion before, but um, I was uh, born a woman, as were you, and I didn't have much choice in my gender selection um, when I was born. That's what I was. Um, And some people do not feel that they're born into the gender that they are biologically born into. I know a few people like that, and let me tell you something, I'm sure that they spent every night praying to God that they wouldn't feel that way when they were growing up. Right. This is not a fetish. No. This is not a choice. And this applies to people, not just um, people who are um, transgendered, but this certainly also applies to um, gays and lesbians, whom I know many more of, um, and it was, it's not a choice. I mean, my, my sexual orientation is not a choice, Emily, neither is yours. Right. Um, we were each born with it. And for people to 
somehow assume that it is my choice to be sexually attracted to men. Um, it's not. It's what I was born being. And uh, no matter how much I might try to change that, uh, if I wanted to, I, I can't. Um, I'm a straight woman, and so I'm attracted to men. And other people are born as, as lesbian women, and they are attracted to women. And other people are born as gay men, and they are attracted to men. Some people are attracted to both. Um, and that is not a preference. It's not a choice. So you no more can discriminate against me for being a woman then you can discriminate against me for being straight. And conversely, you can no more discriminate against a black man for being born black than you can discriminate against him for being gay. Um, there, he was born with both, um, both attributes. And so I don't understand why um, we, can discriminate based, we cannot discriminate based on somebody's skin color or gender that they were born with. Um, but we can discriminate against somebody's sexual orientation, which they were equally born with. Um, unless we want to start saying it is not your choice um, to have, for example, black skin, but it is your choice to um, engage in, in, in activities with same-sex um, people, which is absurd and ridiculous and cruel and unusual punishment. I, and it's, it's just, I don't... It, you know, because you see more and more in popular culture, which is amazing, LGBTQ representation and people really becoming more open to it. But then it's just every time, like, you turn on the news or you see a new thing from the administration trying to take away your rights. It's just like, come on. But see, Hollywood plays... What's interesting is, is, is it seems like media is a business and they play to what sells and what sells is a reflection of reality in America. I right. Mean, obviously if, um, Will and Grace had offended enough people that they stopped turning on NBC back when it debuted, which was a very groundbreaking show back whenever it started 10, 15, many more years ago, um, about a gay man, two gay men actually, and, and, and two straight women. Um, NBC would have canceled it because enough people wouldn't have watched it. Clearly enough people watched it, accepted it, in the same way that enough people watch Seinfeld and accepted, you know, this the show about three or four <laughs> Jewish guys when you know three three Jewish guys and, and a and a woman living in the Upper West Side, which many people around the country they thought couldn't relate to. Um, Trump, however, does not care about what appeals to the vast majority of people. He cares about what appeals to his base. Right. And his base is a very shrinking, small, older, um, conservative base of people who 15, 20 years from now, I believe some of these views their, their children will be offended by. Um, it is evangelicals who deny, as far as I'm concerned, the word of Christ every single day um, by engaging in, in some of the behavior that they engage in. But it is absolutely true that he could not care less about what the vast majority of Americans want. He just doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't care about the popular vote. He cares about winning um, just enough in the electoral college to win and appealing to his base. I mean, everybody who thought he'd pivot away from the base, he'd pivot away from, from the nonsense he was spewing in the primary, they were all wrong. I used to remember I used to joke about that on Outnumbered every time he, they'd say, oh, here comes the pivot. I was like, here comes the pivot. He's going to be a whole new Donald Trump. He's never became a whole new Donald Trump. He's incapable. He is not capable of being a new person. He is what he was a long time ago, a guy who he and his father were found by the Nixon, the Nixon um, administration for discriminating against minorities. <laughs> Um, when they were running 
buildings in the outer boroughs um, and not renting to African-Americans. I mean, this goes back a long time ago. He was, he had racist tendencies back then. Um, he certainly uh, has not proven himself to be particularly friendly to the LGBT community, certainly not friendly towards women as anything other than sex objects. And so... And now he's putting kids in cages. And he now just, he's putting kids he in cages. He just continues to de- deny the humanity of pretty much everyone. He's basically like a James Bond villain, except he's for real. Right. Like, he's basically like... But... Like, like I don't even you know. I mean, it's just... It's absurd. It's, it's, it's you know, Stavros Blofeld. I mean, he's like... <laughs> it's like horrible James Bond villain. Um, and it's just amazing. I mean, he really does. He denies humanity to anybody who does not agree with him and his worldview that white I'd say middle age but not really middle age he's older than that men of a certain financial standing are people who are supreme I mean that's just the case women are there to be objectified um, minorities are there to be exploited and LGBT people Q people are not even they're anathema to him because it's nothing that he can relate to. And if he can't relate right. to it, that means nobody else has the right to exist, right? He, Donald Trump, is not attracted to right. men. Therefore, how can other men be attracted to men? Exactly. Um, he, Donald Trump, is not... Uh, the empathy factor. There's no, it's not, even, it's not even empathy. It's like he can't, he's such a narcissist that he can't take himself out of his own worldview. Um, he doesn't want to sleep with men, so therefore, why would other men want to sleep with men? He doesn't hang out with black people, except you know a very maybe select few who are in lockstep with him financially, or um, that he exploits for whatever he exploits them for politically. So therefore, why would anybody else? Um, you know, all Mexicans are are coming here to rape and pillage. Can't possibly be that they want to come here for a better way of life. Um, it's just you know. The whole thing is just we are living in thrall to a narcissist, and that's fine. I mean, he himself is a narcissist. What I cannot believe is that there's a whole apparatus funded by us of people who are jumping through hoops to justify his behavior. And I guarantee you, when this fever breaks, and it will eventually break um, at some point, all these people are going to be like, well, privately, you know, I had my concerns and I raised them, but I was there because I wanted to babysit him and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to tank the government. How's that working out for you? It's not. I mean, how's that working out for you? That's, I mean, really? That's, right. you know, it's, it's, it's people who are around Stalin. I'm not comparing him to Stalin, so I hope people don't start, don't tweet me. But it's like, I remember, you know, reading, reading books about people in Stalin's inner circle who knew he was mad and knew he was a bloodthirsty despot. But, you know, we had to be there because if we weren't there, he'd be even worse. Okay, how's history judging those people? Yeah. I mean, seriously, how's history judging those people? And... Stephanie Grisham, who was a blip on the radar until she became White House press secretary, um, had never really come up through the ranks, had never really worked significantly in any significant job. I mean, what does a woman like her do 20 years from now, right? When she is in her late 50s and she's looking back at her life and maybe, you know, her kids or her grandkids are looking back and saying, what were you doing? Maybe she'll do Dancing with the Stars. Maybe, like Sean Spicer. I mean, look at Sean Spicer. Great example. Sean Spicer, who's been completely rehabbed by ABC. Shame on you, ABC, for, for putting him on Dancing with the Stars. And I like Sean Spicer. You know, look, he and I always got along well on a personal level, but Sean Spicer went out there and lied for Donald Trump. And, and instead of 
he kind of does this dance where he kind of winks and nods about how, oh, you know, I really shouldn't have done that, and I'm sorry, and it's a big regret, but still continues to defend Donald Trump because he knows right. that he doesn't want Donald Trump going after him. He doesn't want to be like a, a whoever, I mean, all the people that Trump goes after when they, when they come after, you know, go out against him, Scaramucci, for example. Uh, he wants to have his foot in both camps. Can't do it. Nope. Can't do it. If you've observed it close up, you got to go. By the way, I've quit jobs working for politicians that I think are not uh, people that should be in office. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's really hard to walk away, but you've got to do it. Right. And, uh, and if you think that they are a threat, I've never been in that situation where I thought the people, even the people that I don't, didn't particularly like working for, but I've never thought they were a threat to society or a threat to anybody's way of life. But if I did, you're damn right I would have spoken up about it, no matter what kind of NDA I signed, which is what a lot of these people did. Right. That's what you have to do. Um, there's a time and a place, and this is, a t- this is that time in history. This, it really is. This is that time in history to, to do that and to have done that. Well, I think that empowerment note is a good note. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strong note to end on. It is. So are we doing another one of these before our race? I think we are, right? Yes. We have one more of these before our race, I should say. The race that Julie Regan's It is be, our race. Julie Regan's going to be running in Emily Cicillo's <laughs> body. But um, <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Till next week. See ya.